Hi guys, this is Ryan and on behalf of Harry, James and myself, welcome to the Coaches Room, where we speak to coaches around the world and hold discussions about the game we love. You can also find this episode on Apple Podcasts, Spotify and Anchor. Thanks for listening, enjoy the podcast. Hi guys, uh, welcome to the Coaches Room, this is episode 7, we're back after the bank holiday break. Um, today we're back with a special episode for you, for everyone. Uh, today we're doing a, a host special, so myself, Harry and James, we're going to run through a few questions that our, that our guests have sent in and we're going to give our opinion on them. So let's jump in straight away, shall we? Um, first question is from KC101 Coaching. How did, you get your, how did you get into coaching and what are your goals for the future, uh, mid or long term? So, James, mm. do you want to start with that? How did I start? I've actually been... I don't know if you've seen on my Facebook, but we've actually been doing quite a bit on this for my football club, like talking about getting to know the coaches and stuff like that. So I got my level one in 2016. And before that, I did did a little bit like within schools, within my school, sorry. Did the year seven and eight football team and kind of got a feel for it just because I wanted to see what it was like. Because I've never played at a high level or anything. So I didn't anticipate on playing too much longer. And then uh, one of my friends approached us and asked if I would help him out with like a weekly session. And from then on, not long after that, I think I got my level one coaching qualification. Later, I started my level two, which I haven't yet been sorted to finish. But so about 2016, I started. That's how I got into it. Yeah. Uh, would you say that you've kind of, obviously when you went for, first went in and did 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 that initial coaching session was that kind of your, your first kind of thought that I actually enjoy this or I might be quite good at this? Why don't I do a qualification? Or was it a case of you know giving it a bit more time and finding well, out was you know over a bit more time? Quite interesting because I, I had already done a bit of coaching. I've got a younger cousin who's a goalkeeper and kind of started him by just blasting footballs at him in the in the <laughs> garden to like to make him save the ball pretty much. Yeah, yeah. But then uh, when I was asked by one of my teachers because I had quite a good relationship. And uh, you knew I'd, I'd be up for it pretty much. So doing that first session, I was, what year was that? I would have been about 13, 14, I think, coaching yeah. a team of year sevens and eights. So they weren't too different in terms of age for me. They were like, I can't do the maths in my head, but five or six years younger and I had a really good team. So I think yeah. it kind of set us off thinking, this is quite easy, this. They were all players who, who played for the county, for the top team. So it kind of like, was going in, not having to do too much in terms of training them, just getting them like used to playing with each other. Yeah. And then we're winning games, winning tournaments and stuff like that. And I kind of thought, I tell you what, I've got a knack for this. And then when I got into weekly sessions, like not too long after, with it was, we'll call it a tot session. So oh, yeah. <clears throat> it was like three, four, five-year-olds who had never played before, kind of brought us back down. And then ever since then, I've kind of stuck within that kind of age group, the foundation phase. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, Harry, I'm actually quite interested. I've never, obviously, we're, we're all quite close. We work, we work with each other for a, a, lot, a lot of the summer and we stay in contact with a lot uh, during the year. But kind of, how did you kind of get into Spanish coach, you know, living over there and getting involved in coaching over there? Did that come around? Did you move to Spain with an idea that you were going to coach or I knew you moved quite young? Um, well, basically, coaching came around the corner because I was struggling at school, actually. So, um, obviously, doing 
a lot of the work in a different language when it got to a certain point it started becoming difficult and um, I remember asking for, for help with, with studies and whatnot and and I got to know um, like the people that worked after school because I was hanging around asking a lot of questions and just trying to get everything up to date and uh, there was the lads that were playing you know the, the people the, the kind of like the local team the school team so I would go and watch them in just between like sessions and and whatnot and um, one time I thought to myself well I'm here for an hour or here for half an hour 45 minutes why don't I help out you know with with the lads because you could see one coach maybe with 16 kids the goalkeeper wasn't getting any attention so I just offered to help um, the goalkeeper or I would go in goal if there wasn't a goalkeeper I just um, kept me linked to the game really I, I'd stopped um, playing recently as well so it's just keeping linked to the game and um, from there I went over to the Manga Club because there is where you can see a lot of professional teams uh, during the summer and um, yeah a lot of teams as well from different countries so while I was there I noticed there was an academy there's some kids there as well so I went and met um, the coaching director and he said if you want to coach here you're gonna have to do the FA 1 and 2 in the UK and in Spain you couldn't really do the FA 1 and 2 obviously because it's the FA um, and it wasn't valid for them for me to do it in Spain so I had to go back to the UK so I went back to the UK did my FA 1 and 2 really enjoyed them it's some great people along the way as well and um, yeah pretty much came back and I think that really shoe um, the guy that was in charge in that moment that I was interested in actually working there because I was flying back to the UK to do my FA 1 and 2 um, likewise just think about it the other way around if if you were going to a Spanish academy over in the UK and they said, you have to fly over to Spain to do your, you know, your one and two or your, your yeah. monitor, as they call it here. It's actually quite, you know, a nuisance it's a commitment, in a that, way. isn't it? Yeah, so it's it a bit, is. yeah, it's, it's showing commitment. And I think we've got a lack of that right now. Um, everybody like wants something for, for nothing really without showing that commitment. And I was on the phone today with one of, uh, a friend of mine that had a fantastic story to say that he flew over to the States um, and looked up uh, the goalkeeping coach of that team and just just kind of like got his name and went, flew over. And um, he was very close to signing a professional contract with the team at a young age. Because um, obviously that commitment will surprise people more than sending them an email or your CV or just, you know, basically giving them a phone call or just turning up one day and saying, I want to work here, you know. We, we, we find ourselves in a world that is very un entitled to to receiving and, and very little of showing what we're actually capable of. And um, yeah, so I think that experience started me off really. And um, you, think you would have still got into it, Harry, if you stayed, if you were to not move to Spain, do you think you would have still got into coaching in England? Well, my uncle, my uncle used to coach at Rich Town Academy. And when he showed me the, I was about 17, 18 at the time when I really was finding out that I wasn't really good enough to play because I was, I got to visit um, one of the academies, uh, one, uh, one day, one week when I was over, one, one trip, he showed me around the academy and then I really noticed that I wasn't nowhere near the level really. And, uh, but I did really like appreciate how they were working with the kids over there, how they were, you know, a professional environment really, I think, gets everybody going to a certain point, to a certain extent, just to see how, you know, beautiful it is to see eight pitches full of kids, some games, some sessions going on, you know, it really um, pushes you forward towards doing, you know, sacrificing a lot of your time, a lot of your energy 
um, and, and it creates a bit of ambition in you if you do love the game and you still want to take part in it, I suppose. Definitely. I think we're all missing that right now, aren't we? Seeing pitches full of kids playing and... Yeah. Talking about, talking about missing the game and kind of looking to the future, what's everyone's kind of mid to long-term goals? James, do you, do you want to fire us off with that? Not something I really think about. I don't... Not really planning for that type of thing. I, I coach daily for work, which is not specific to football, but like other sports and coaching most nights each week for my club. But is in mid-term, probably just staying as I am at the minute, which is staying with my two two football teams, under nines, under eights at the minute. Obviously, whenever we get the chance, <clears throat> come and work across the you, Harry, in Spain. Long-term-wise, I don't really see where I'm going to go with it, whether it's something I'm going to push for as a full-on career like staying in the game or if it's something I just kind of do on the side as I'm, as I'm doing at the minute ideally think, I would like to have the chance but do, do you think that kind of the role you're in now James is, is, is quite beneficial for you as well as the kids like, like me and Harry have seen how you like how you behave with kind of like the sixes and eights and you you know you're really lively and bouncy with them and that you know no one's saying that you know every coach has to want to go to the first team level like what you're doing right now is actually giving these kids really good experiences and and do you want to carry that on as well like almost leave a bit of a, a legacy in what you've done yeah you see it's natural isn't it for coaches to to start at the foundation phase to get their under sevens team and kind of follow there's lots of people in my club who just follow their teams all the way up it's normally when they've got a, a son or daughter in it and they get to that age when they're under 16 17s 18s and they just drop off and the yeah. coach kind of well, I've done, some of them refer to it as I've done my time, I'll let someone else come in now, whereas it would be really beneficial if they came back around the loop yeah. and helped out again, starting from the bottom, so on. So well, it, it's kind of like the, the, the per, that's how teachers move, isn't it? Teachers will kind of follow a year group for maybe two, three years and then will go down to the bottom and then work up again. Yeah. It gives them that, that gradual experience of working with them all. That's the ideal way to look at it because, like I say, there's a, there's a good coach at my club who I who I spent a lot of time talking and learning from, and he's got a son, so his team's under 10s at the minute. And he says when he when his son gets comfortable in 11-a-side football, whether he's still coaching his son or not, he'd love to come back down to under 7s, and then he's got a new team that while he's still focusing on coaching his son's team, and they're getting to that age, he's already built up the connection with the younger players. Yeah. So it's not a case of, his son stops playing and he's got no link to the club or the teams, kind of, as the son's going up, he's coming back round to kind of stick within, which I think is yeah. a good way to do it. Definitely. But Harry, kind of working with the, the, the 16s you are at the moment, and obviously a, ma a massive well done for getting on the pro licence as well, you know, that's obviously the next step for you into that future long-term goal. You know, what do you see that being? Oh, definitely. I think when you when you get accepted onto a pro license, in a way, you're already heading in, in the direction of the professional game. Yeah. I believe that obviously the seven years that I've already done coaching and working alongside a lot of coaches in development and a load of kids of different age groups, it it gets to a point where you need to make a decision on what you enjoy and what you want to do. And I also want to experience that professional level before I make maybe that decision. So I'm not saying becoming a professional manager, you know, straight away, but just being around that type of environment just to see um, whether 
you know, I might, I might go and be two or three years in that environment and not like it and want to head back into development phase. But I am at that point now where I feel quite comfortable with every single age group. And yeah. I also am kind of like urgent and hungry for new experiences still. And I'm not too bothered about travel. I'm not too bothered about, you know, um, certain things, which when you get to an age, an age that you're 35 or maybe that you're 40, people like are more comfortable and they want something close to their home and then they make decisions based on their experience they've had for the first 15 years. So I think I'm stuck in the middle right now. And um, obviously the pro license will bring a lot of new contacts, maybe yep. new opportunities um, once it's finished as well. And hopefully I can, I can um, get, to, get to the end of it <laughs> and become uh, a pro license coach. And um, along the way, I'm sure I'm going to learn a lot of things about the professional game, which will be able to trigger and kind of like feed that, that hunger that I've got now after, you know, running through all these different age groups in the development phase, which is fantastic. And I really encourage all coaches to, to do, you know, just go through all the age groups. I mean, I was posting about it the other day, how fascinating it is to be able to adapt from the ages of three to the ages of 18 and be a kind of like a different that's person. It's a, a massive skill. Though. It's a massive skill. In each one of those age group and try and become what's necessary for that age group during yeah. that period of time and then being able to switch and go to a different age group and still be what they need in the next hour and a half and come back the next day with new objectives, with a new smile, with new energy, you know, and being able to do that, I think there's a lot of coaches out there that need to value themselves because just just like James and yourself that work with these young kids, it's, it's a real challenge. You know, it's a real challenge. I mean, parents can't deal with them at home. And, um, you know, during that hour and a half or during the two hours or three hours they are with you a week, I know for a fact that with you two, you know, they're enjoying themselves. One, two, they're learning. Three, they're doing things that they love. Four, can I can I just stop actually, you there, Harry, a second? Yep. That I I actually I actually read this, something from a, a doctor a, a doctor a PhD student um, mm -hmm. who actually quoted exactly what you said. Then he kind they kind of came up with this this theory of why kids take part, and it's exactly what you said. They they love, so they love what they're doing. They're laughing and then they're learning. So like the three L's it's called, and you know that is such a key fundamental for anyone you know in any sport, isn't it? Like yeah, definitely. I mean, definitely, and, and for us as well, you know, yeah. at the same time, I think that when you start with those age groups, you are learning, you need to be able to have fun, and you need to be able to have a laugh. You know, yeah. the three L's that they have are also important for the coach to be able to adapt to. They work, they kind of work, they intertwine with each other, don't they, really? Yeah, yeah, totally, 100%. And I'm going to flip the question around to you. You've been asking the question, so what about yourself? <laughs> um, so no, I'm getting away from it, right? <laughs> <clears throat> uh, yeah, so I got into coaching just through constantly playing the game. Played it since I was little. Been a boyhood Everton fan since since I can remember. So I've always kind of you know dreamed of being at Goodison Park and and you know all the that that, that comes with being young and loving football. Um, and then as I got older, I, I kind of recognised that I was a bit of a leader on, on the pitch, even if it was just like you know, telling people where they can be or where they need to be or, you know, pulling someone over and saying, you know, like, if he, should, if he goes on the inside, you can make a tackle or, you know, you show him on the outside. Um, 
and it, weirdly enough, my mum, who's a teacher, kind of after one game, she kind of said to me, you know, I think you make a great coach. And I, I didn't really understand why at the time. So I went on my courses and it turns out I absolutely love it. That, like, I, I love what doing what I do. I love that I'm able to, to contribute in a game that I love and, and kind of help people have as fun experiences as kind of I did, really. And, and hopefully it takes them onto the next stage and the next coach can help, can help kind of nourish that as well. But I think a lot, a lot of people are similar to that, Ryan, now. They were the, the captains on the pitch, they were the, the leaders on the pitch and stuff like that. But still got to recognise it's a different skill being a, a communicator on the pitch to then being the, the one on the side of it, isn't oh, it? Oh, massively. Not, it's think, not the straight, think, straight way in. Yeah, massively. The, the thing I realised quickly when I became a coach was like, when I was playing, I was like, not gobby, but I, I could I could talk to a lot of the players and motivate them. But I've actually found myself like telling myself to like restrain how much I talk because they used I, to like, hate me. The, but dear me, like <laughs> everyone I, around me, <laughs> I, I just didn't realise like if I keep talking here, the kids are just going to burn out. And that was something I learned really quick. So I kind of shut up, and then every couple of minutes, a bit of encouragement or a bit of help if they needed it. But just let them play, and, and I can do my talking when they rest. I've I've got a lot worse with that since I started coaching. I've got to admit, playing five aside now, and I, I stop myself sometimes. I'm like, yeah, you're gonna just absolutely playing with people twice my age and like people around my age, and I'm trying to tell them what to do, and they're gonna look at me at some point and think, shut up, Jim. It's like yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you've got to kind of catch yourself sometimes and yeah, massively. Think, do I need to tell them? Are they gonna are they gonna take it well or what? Like, I had an example a few months ago. When uh, one of my one of my mates, he was he was just about to shoot, and I think I told him I told him to settle like just before he was about to shoot, and then he he sliced the ball, he hit it too, tried to rush it too quick, sliced it, went out for a throw, and turned around at me and blamed me because I put him off by shouting to calm to settle down like before shooting, and I was just saying like I'm we're trying to help, but like as you a coach, it's sometimes. not isn't it? Yeah, massively. It's, that's all about taking responsibility though. At the end of the day, the problem with a lot of players that don't make it and actually play, you know, between the mates and whatnot, they just want to blame someone else for their mistakes. You know, it's like, that was terrible, so there's got to be a reason why, you know. And it can't be me. <laughs> uh, right, let's, uh, let's move on to question two for tonight. Have great chat for the first one. Um, so, yeah. yeah, so question two comes in. Uh, when James from... realises how to make a move. <laughs> Yeah, so question two comes from uh, Sagwati Malabi, also known as Sage, um, who kind of states that, what are your thoughts about ex-pros getting pushed ahead when it comes to academy jobs through coaching badges, etc.? I'm going to take a bit of a lead on this one in the answering because I feel, yeah, strongly, I I feel strongly about this. Um, <laughs> and when, when Sage uh, rang me the other day to, to kind of put this question to me, um, he then sent me a few articles through and we, and we rang we, we were on the phone about this for a while, actually. Um, and we, we feel quite strongly about this. There's a, a big article about Thierry Henry, who, who got very preferential treatment on the Wales A licence. Apparently, it was he did his B and his A as quickly as some people do their B, which is, a, you know, it's a lot of time to do. Even your B licence, you know, it can take over a year to do. And the way... You know, some people have worked really hard, saved loads of money up to then do the B, 
you know, when he's getting that paid for, obviously because he might be in a high role, but he's getting that paid for and he's absolutely flying through them. You know, where's the fair treatment? You know, we should just be developing coaches, not the pros into coaches. You know, it's not, they sh- if they want to do that, they need to open up, up, up a program from, for like, from a transition from playing to, to coaching. You know, that kind of program as well, there needs to be that because if you're going to give them preferential treatment, you know, why are we, why are you sacrificing people's money when you're going to give them barely any att- attention? I think we had a good chat. Are you throwing something the question at us, Ryan? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think we had, a, we had a good chat about it, didn't we? Was it the last episode or the one before last? And we just felt like we could just keep talking about it for, for hours. Massively. Yeah, it's, I think... one of, it's one of them there. Obviously, they all know the game. They, they're known within their club. Sometimes it's a bit of a, wouldn't say marketing tool, but they know they're going to get a good response Massively. from it. Massively, but, yeah. Uh, like there's certain circumstances where it works really well. Like Henri, I don't think he's he's not done too well from what I've seen in managing. Obviously, the main one, Gary Neville, who knows a hell of a lot about football, but when he had that job in Valencia, it didn't go too well, did it? So it's not a no. it's not a guarantee. No, definitely. Got to think as well, like you say, right? Henri pushed through his co- uh, coaching courses. Do you think that might that might have the fact that he got that preferential treatment? Do you think that might have like hindered him? He's not had the time to take it in and experience it all. Hundred percent, hundred percent. Yes, we want to want to get him back in the game. Players like that, like I'm sure Rooney will when he finally stops playing. But they should have to take the same amount of time as us non-ex players because it it takes that time for a reason. So definitely fast tracking. It's only going to skip over some stuff. Massively, and, and something kind of close to home for me with the with the Preston North End setup. You know, the the captain um, is currently one of the coaches, and you know he's a great coach, really good from what I've seen. But there's people as well in that in the youth development phase who are more than capable of stepping in and being that 16s coach. You know, obviously, it looks good from a PR point of view that people, yeah. are, you know, they they're reinvesting in the club. You know, they're reinvesting the time in the club. But what about the, the coaches that are coming straight from work, maybe 20 miles away, to drive to, to coach and then drive all the way back? Is that not reinvesting in the club and their time? You know, is, is that actually fair that they're getting jobs over maybe better coaches? I think players, players like that, like you say, the captain of Preston, I think they've got plenty of time once they retire to, have, to be the coach. So I think that would be a good little transitional thing to have someone like that there. And then, like you say... What age group did you say it was? Under 16? 16s, yeah. So then have a young, not not necessarily young, but an up-and-coming coach who's just coming into it kind of to work off him. As, as his number two. Yeah, and then the amount of stuff you'd learn from that would be... and then oh, that'd be massive. He can step back and say, right, you're going to lead the team today, and then I'm here to support you type of thing. And then, right, that, that person's... They feel comfortable now to take their own team on or move into... A different side of the game, but and then the that, comes through. Is that where egos start to get in the way, though? Would would an ego maybe a big big name captain? I'm not saying that the captain is, but for example, if he was, would he would he ever give the the young coach the opportunity, or would he say, no, it's you know it's my team, I have a big role here, I I, I can kind of do what I want. You, you need that buy in first, wouldn't you? Way. You need you need them to buy into the whole the process, like being a long term thing, kind of recognising, like I say. You, you'll have your time once your 
playing career's over. So we kind of, as captain, would love you to be able to help push the coaches, not just the players. Yeah. But I think there's yeah. some, like you say, there's some instances where it could really backfire. You'd need that. Yeah. yeah. Set your expectations early. And if they're not buying into it, then don't be afraid of, I don't know, taking taking another step to it. Because if it's not going to help the coaches, then a bit of a waste. Can I ask, can I ask, it might sound a very simple question, but looking at the, the coaching badges, kind of end of that question, should they do their level one and two? Or, you know, as, as it's known in this country, that they go straight onto their big, you know, because they've got the playing experience and it, they meet the criteria. But should they do their one and two, even if it maybe is all built into one workshop over a weekend to get a grasp of, you know, because if you turn around to half the players in the, in the Premier League, half the players, and you said, Go on, tell me what's coaching. You know, we still couldn't answer that as players, could they? I think it would be <clears throat> be a good idea to maybe as if they they produce their own thing for ex players, kind of ex player ex players from the professional game can come in and do, like you say, the level one, level two, over say a month, for example, yeah. and. Uh, then it's kind of tailored towards them what they already like know. Almost like almost like a transitional program. Yeah, so there's no need to put like we were talking about Thierry Henry. No need to put put him in a in a room full of people who oh, have yeah, just no, I, who yeah, their, their I, son's I, just got I, into the game kind of thing. I think if they if they made a tailored approach to those people, and then they said this is how we'd coach it at level one, level two. But well, almost the, like a bit of a crash crash course for them. Yeah, but kind of tailored to them. So it's yeah. not it's not as dumbed down yeah, as yeah, the yeah. level one would be, but it's kind of implementing the values of level one to them at their level because they're not they're going to pick it up easily. So, yeah. but I think it's important to touch on. Yeah. Do, do you agree that they should uh, looking at the other end of the spectrum now with with professional gate play uh, matches and the professional spectrum? Do you think that they're more deserved of of a um, of a first team job? over someone who's come through the ranks. Look at kind of Darren Moore. Obviously, he had a bit of a playing career, but wasn't very well known for it. Whereas you maybe look at Gary Neville, who's just immediately been snapped up by Valencia. You know, is it, is it actually fair that they get the job over someone who's maybe understood the te- the, the club core values all the way through their career and, and is able to implement them straight away? Or is it unfair, or is it fair to bring someone in and, and get them to learn and maybe struggle like, like Neville? Good question. I'm waiting Harry? to see if Harry jumps in because yeah. he's got something stored. He's waiting well, to the, the thing is with this question is this it's all about perspective. Um, at the end of the day, we could say, you know, fine, that's just the way things are. I mean, there's a lot of things wrong in the world. And are you gonna, you know, are you gonna use that as an excuse or are you gonna try and do something about it? Well, yeah, and but if to you, me, we can debate about this, but we're not going to change anything by debating about it. So, to a certain extent, I don't know how the professional networking works to a degree. And um, if players get put, if if players, ex-pros players, get pushed ahead of academy coaches, it means obviously that academy coach they believe is going to bring a benefit, and maybe that happening pushes you out and into another environment that can help you. So, okay, but. Imagine if, so, so say you went for a job, like, yeah. and say, say you went for a professional job, you know, you've got your pro license. Yep. And on your resume, you can say, you know, pro license, I've 
been a head coach at La Manga Club for X amount of years, you know, yeah. I've coached in numerous languages. Um, you know, you can list all these things mm-hmm. and the coach can go, you know, the, sorry, the, the ex-pro can maybe go, you know, I've got my pro license, blah, blah, blah. But I've got 10 years game experience on you, but he may not be able to speak a different language. Mm-hmm. You know, does that balance out or is he going to get the job on a, on a, on a, a name basis? Well, it's, it's how you value yourself as well. Meaning I would feel like they're losing out, you know, and, and it's my time to move on. You know, things happen. It's, it's your approach and your mindset. You can blame, you know, this, that, and whatever. But at the end of the day, it's not up to you. It's out of your control. So things that are out of your control, the more we worry about them, at the end of the day, it's just time wasted that we could be inverting to then turn the whole thing around. At the end of the day, how many, how many coaches in the professional game have we seen that have come from non-playing backgrounds? A few, and how are they done? Pretty well. So mm, why don't exactly. we put them up against exactly the, the coaches that are pros? But you can't right now because there's not enough of us in the game. But in Germany, there is beginning yeah. to, to we, we, we are starting, you know, and if Nagelsmann, for example, who did have a playing career but had an injury in his knee, we don't know exactly until it happens. Like Mourinho is a one-off. We haven't got enough of those coaches. And if we are capable of doing it, we need to win things and we need to do it with maybe teams that don't have the best players and we need to find a way of demonstrating that we can do it now complaining about we didn't get the job is not gonna not gonna help us get there and you know at the end of the day it's out of our control so yes it's a nuisance yes and it might not be fair but what is fair you know what what can we deter- determine being fair nowadays the whole it, the whole it, it, the whole world in different job positions, it doesn't matter if you're always good at something. It's about what, what the person who's making that decision wants. Well, it, well let's, let's take it then that someone's going for a manager role in a big company. Mm-hmm. They've got the same resume, okay? Mm-hmm. And then you've never met these people when they turn up for the interview. One's a male, one's a female, okay? Mm-hmm. And one, and, and the male gets the job. Okay. But that, if we were to flip that on its head into football and let's say that they're exactly the same on paper, the resumes are the same, but he's got 10 years of f- football playing experience, is that fair? Well, that he's, he's, he's made it to the professional game. He's made it to the professional game. He's had 10 years there. That probably puts something above the fact that you haven't been in the professional environment. It depends what the job is as well. Are we talking about managing a professional team you need to know about the professional game you need to know about networking you need to have contacts you need to you know you, you might it might be easier to bring players in in the professional game if somebody is somebody who's being the manager you know if we're talking about an academy then you know to a certain point how much do we value being a part of academy important you yeah, know with a grassroots club you can do so much so much what why do you want to go to a place where you're probably going to be f- playing against other teams that you're probably better than by nature. So it won't require you doing much coaching. So you can't really evaluate how good a coach you are when you've probably got the best teams in the whole county. I mean, why would you want that position as a, as a starting coach? I can understand, okay, you get an under 18s offer and that, and, and, and that might be attractive to you because it's closer to the senior point. But what's the difference between having a group of under sevens 
in the academy and a group of under sevens in grassroots. From a coaching point of view, you're probably going to have more struggles in the under sevens that are grassroots. And that will benefit you Absolutely. if you can find ways and be resourceful, but it's less comfortable. Well, the journey's supposed to be uncomfortable. Absolutely. Right. <laughs> really in depth. Up. Go on, JD. One more little point. I think we've only got yeah, five yeah. minutes left. So if we finish on this point and open up for the last question, then that might work better. Definitely. What I like is uh, <clears throat> when you see big names get sacked or leave the club and then a caretaker coach comes in and does such a good job that they kind of get the job full time. So as a Newcastle fan, it was the whole Chris Hutton. We had, we had the likes of Shearer who took over the team and then we got relegated and then uh, it was left for Chris Hutton as the caretaker coach. Did well, got us promoted, did quite well in the Premiership the next season, got sacked quite uh it's quite unlucky to get sacked. And then he's been in jobs at Norwich and Brighton since then. I think he's done all right. He's been sacked from both, but still kind of those who work their way up and don't want to just get fast tracked straight at the top, they kinda of wanna to, wanna to work their way up the club to so go from like a like you say, an under eighteens coach to a caretaker uh, to a assistant to then becoming real deal when they're ready players like that who uh, coaches like that who like well Chris Hutton was Newcastle manager I had no idea he used to play and then it's, it's not until that that you realise actually he used to play for Tottenham he was quite well known back in the day but he's more known for his managerial reputation yeah. isn't he he's not one of them who just comes in and it's like oh yeah we'll go with a point of this ex-player yeah blah, 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 let's say in the marketing tool for it yeah. It's kind of like he goes under the radar kind of thing, like promotion from within, something like Definitely. that. I like really good, right? Let's uh, one last let's put... point to add. One last point <laughs> to add about that topic is being a player and being a coach are two different jobs. One is managing almost being a psychologist, managing a group of people. And one is receiving a ball and trying to put it in the net and stopping the other ones from trying to do the same thing. It's quite different, the approach between the two. And if we go into coaching kids, it's even further away. So should ex-pros then get, get pushed ahead because they've done the, the kicking side of thing? Do they know the psychological side? It obviously isn't. I mean, it makes no sense for it to be should, but it is. So what are we going to do about it? Are we going to keep complaining about it? Are we going to take action and, you know, go and riot in front of the FA? You know, <laughs> what are we going to do about it? Because all we're doing is chatting about it and debating about it. But at the end of the day, there's no action being taken. And when there's no action being taken, I don't believe you, you know, every, anybody has the right to complain about stuff. It's always going to be the elephant in the room, isn't it? Like, yeah. I get, totally get what you're saying, Harry, because say you're going for an interview for a, a top managerial job and you're still next to someone like Wayne Rooney who's played for however many years across all the countries and stuff like that. Yes, you might have you might be better on paper, but then you're still next to Wayne Rooney. It's kind of like you don't want to then go in with the attitude of, oh, well, I'm not going to get picked, so why try? You've got to kind of still... Yeah, yeah I've got to demonstrate in my two yeah. minutes that I'm better than his 10 years of playing. Exactly. Should it, should that's it then that's the way sometimes. Everyone, should that then that everyone, when they go in for that job, is treated equally? That the name doesn't matter? They should, should, well, no, I'm not going to say that. I was going to say 
it shouldn't be given a name. It should be like a well, yeah, yeah. A lot of it is put on pressure. A lot of it is put on the time and the pressure from the clubs. You know, you don't make great decisions when you're under a lot of pressure. What are the circumstances? How much money are we talking about? Are we talking about the professional game? You know, if we're talking about professional game, you're going to probably go for someone that's been in the professional game. If you're into an emotional decision, you know, between Wayne Rooney and the coach that was coached in Spain, you know, you're going to go for Wayne Rooney if we're talking that we're, we're trying to avoid relegation because I've got a backup for his name. You know, I've got a way out. I've got, yeah. oh, I didn't go well. You know, I trusted Wayne Rooney for his reputation as a player and then yeah. that he can almost put the blame on him, which is a bit yeah. sad, but that's what people are looking at just for a backup, you know? It's not like yeah. I really invested and I really was, you know, a bit ruthless with my decision and I really believed in this guy. And um, yeah, I, w- I made a mistake and I was wrong. You know, no one, people not many people, people are kind of willing to accept it, are they? No. Anyway, let's call it, call it there for a quick tea break and then we'll, we'll be back after the break to, to head up the final question. Thanks again for listening to the Coach's Room podcast. To express an interest in taking part as a guest in a future episode, send an email to the coaches room email at gmail.com. Use the subject virtual round table and include a bit of background on yourself, who you are, where you're from and what age group you coach. Let's get back to the second half of the episode. Enjoy. Okay, welcome back to the coaches room. Uh, just at our quick little tea break and we're going to move on to the last question. So the questions from uh, Trenchart Coach which we know as Jack, uh, who states, do you think there is now so much information available co- for coaches that there is a risk of overcomplicating coaching and as a result, losing focus on the player? Harry, in one word. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Definitely. Definitely. Um, well, I, I'm not sure. This is the thing. I mean, I've been reading quite, I've been reading a lot lately, but there's one book in particular, which is uh, by Jim Quick. You've probably seen it on social media. It's called Limitless. So I bought the book. And what it really um, says at the beginning, what it really focuses on, is we're getting to a point where we're searching for all this information and we're not actually letting our brains think for themselves. And we're, not, we're just lacking creativity as well at the same time. And we're lacking humanity. And I think this is to do with, you know, everything that we're asking now, instead of even thinking, we got to Google and type it in. You know, without even questioning, we believe a tweet that somebody said or an article that somebody's uploaded on uh, social media. And it's really, um, we're losing our identity at the same time, you know, because you know, there's so much of a mixture of opinions and they've all got like quite good arguments. So, it's 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 getting to a point where it's i think we need to come away from the devices for a few minutes before we actually like answer or believe or even like take on any information that we actually perceive and then when we're doing a drill or when we're doing any coaching session i think that you know at the end of the day they didn't have all this information before and players like mbappe messi ronaldo came through the system you know and they didn't have internet or the capability of um, all this different information and content. So really think to yourself that is it really necessary to become a great manager? Is it really necessary for players to become professional players? Is it necessary for all, all this information? It hasn't been, so why is it now? And, um, you know, just to clarify, 
a certain aspect of you know you need to you need to more so focus on yourself a little bit more and the needs of of the players that you might be coaching and create an actual relationship with them and focus on just you know creating for them and through your own experience making your own decisions i think is is something that we all need to start doing as soon as we can um, but there's obviously these two weeks four weeks months two months that we've been away you know it's just been a saturation because there's been nothing else and it's quite stimulating at the same time but i do trust that we've we've come through this in a way which we're, we're really realizing what information you know is useful to us and which information isn't you know 95 percent of the information that i've taken over the last two months i probably know that that's not me which i'm not saying it's wrong and i'm not saying i'm not going to share it but you know, just realizing coming to that filter that at the start it might be you believe 95% and 5% you kind of like don't trust. And then as you go on, you realize that you believe 5% and you, you know, just kind of like put to one side the other 95 because you can't administrate that much information. And it's the 5% that is fully and 100% you, which makes a difference with you and a coach and another guy who's trying to do the same thing. I think that's what you're saying. It, it links really well to actually what Jack was saying in the episode six that he was on. Kind of, you've got to be open to, you might see, like, looking through Instagram, you can see so many exercises, so many one-to-one stuff, so many team stuff. doesn't mean you need to take it all in and use it for yourself. You've got to kind of, like you say, don't be afraid of scanning through something and skip something and think, well, that's not relevant to me. I'm going to move on. I think sometimes we've got the tendency to look at something and think, that's good, I need to take that. Whereas if we just keep taking, taking, taking stuff and trying to do it ourselves, it's not going to work. How much are we actually like taking in of that though? Like, oh, I've seen 300 people retweet this incredible article on why the 442 is going to come back. Uh, just for example, you know, and I'm going to read it. What, am I actually learning anything while I read that? Or it's am I just reading you? because I feel... And the brain is a muscle as well with... We've got to understand that the brain is a muscle and it's not like a computer. We can't, we can't literally, it's not a database. You can't hold that, inf- that much information anyway. So just come to think about yourselves now. What's the last article you read? And secondly, what exactly was it about? And you're probably going to take about 30 seconds or 20 seconds to first realize which the article it was. You probably don't even know who wrote it. You probably don't even know any anything about that person, and you probably believed fifty percent of what he had to say just because he we wrote an article. So, we kind of said this. Go on, H. Go on, finish that off. Sorry. No, I was I was just going to finish it by saying, so why you know what is the need to actually go on to to the social media, or go on to that website or article? What is the need? You know, what does it create in you? How does it benefit you? How does it benefit your brain? How does it benefit you as a coach? Because the difference now is going to be who knows themselves and who can actually produce on what they do. Because everybody's got the information, everybody's got the access. So who can actually produce? Who can actually put it into practice? There's so many people that believe in the theory, but who can do it practically? You know, that would be Harry, that that we kind of said that the other week that about the book scenario, that when you read a book and it's obviously the coaching ones, you can't, it's not a fiction. You can't just follow a story. You know, you've got to kind of listen, sorry, read it and, and take it all in. 
But if I was to say to you a week after you finished the book, what do you remember from that book? You could probably give me one or two key messages that ring through and which you will apply. But, you know, that maybe came over five or six pages in total out of maybe 400 pages. You know, that's not to say the four other 400 are, uh, have, don't have their value, but, you know, you will remember a few key messages and that's the way we chunk things and process things. And, you know, if you're cramming all this information in, you know, day after day CPD event, you know, two hour CPD events, five times a week, you're probably going to remember maybe 20 minutes at most, you know, collectively from maybe the 10 hours that you've sat there. So I think that's another thing is we're not, sorry to interrupt you there, right? But another thing is we're not having discussions on all these stuff. So we're not, we're not, you know, we're not speaking to the person who wrote it. So we don't really know his perspective. perspective. Sorry? Yeah. You're not, you're not kind of stimulating what you thought, are you really? No, and we can only go by our own personal experiences. You know, we can only put ourselves in a position and learn through what we've experienced. That's yeah. it, full stop. You know, and, and we can theoretically think we're doing something in a way, but then somebody could come in and say, hang on a minute, mate, this is happening. And you're like, nah, nah I do it like this, like I read. No, mate, that's not how you do it. That's probably what you should try and do, but how you're doing it is completely different. So it's, it's not just about taking the information and trying to apply it. It's having the ability to apply it in a practical um, and beneficial way. And right now, nobody can do it because nobody can, play, can coach football. So really, we're just on the lay um, you know, just we're just debating about plateau, different topics. We? And it's yeah, yeah. decision every day whether you complain about it or do something about it. And this is the moment where we should start do something about it and stop complaining about everything. Because everybody yeah. knows everything about all these haters and whatnot. But you can easily become one without knowing. You can easily, you know, as we do, we can easily say, ah, oh, this person doesn't stop posting information. And you get into this, this, this vicious circle of you're becoming a hater. You're not even realizing you know the theory that you shouldn't hate, that you shouldn't say, but in, in your question, you're already applying that hatred to say that that's wrong or something's right. You know, you, you just need to believe and need to understand who you are and what you believe in and forget or let everybody else be who they want to be as long as it's, you know, to a certain degree. Yeah, understand. Yeah. But like, kind of pulling back towards the question, um, no one's really saying that, information all obviously there's so much information available no one's saying that's a bad thing that you know we're reading all this and and, and tr- well, it is a bad thing it's a bad thing no but but what i'm trying to get at here is that there's so much information that we can take in and we can store but then we're using it all at once to overcomplicate coaching what is wrong with going in and, and before a session maybe looking at that cpd event you read about and saying i'm going to try that tonight and then two weeks later, I'm going to try something else. And in between, you know, you go back to your normal coaching style. You know, I think that we're actually trying to force it instead of just letting it naturally come out in us. You know, I think that's how the overcomplication comes. I'm going to, I'm going to say... We need our own plan. We need our own plan. And then how does that work into our plan? Because like you say, yeah, right, exactly. if, you, if you're watching CPD stuff and you think, I'll take that, I'll take that, it's not going to flow. You'd rather, no. I'd, I'd rather personally... Yes, some of the CPD events have the best, like some of the best exercises, but then you've got to find the time that that's right with your team. 
you might take, all right, that's how we coached. That's how we coached it. That's how we did an intervention with one player at a time. I'll take that into what I want to do with my team type thing. Yeah. So yeah, definitely. They might be they might be doing the doing a pass and playing from the back type thing, but within my kind of plan with my team, I want to work on finishing, for example. So I'm not going to just flip it and change it completely differently because of this CBD, but what but I'm going to take little snippets can from I take? It? Yeah, yeah. yeah. And and I think that's the whole question. It's like you've got to have that relevancy. So exactly, yes. If you you've read a read an article or watch something online, you've got to like relate within your own environment. So I think that's why you're saying about the is it a book that you're reading or an article about the four four two coming back that won't be relevant as much to you as a whole because you're coaching pre academy Ryan. So exactly. And I'm going to make a statement now about. I'm just going to, sorry to interrupt, but I'm going to forget if not. I'm just going to quickly make a statement about, like, when I started, this is something, this is an experience I always kind of like build off of. When I started at the Manga, I remember that we used to go down to the pitch. I mean, we do it similarly now, you know. We used to go down the pitch, and I, you, I was shy to really ask, I'll be honest. And it would just be like, right, you're doing this, you're doing that. You've got half an hour to set up. And at the beginning... I thought, wow, this is nuts. You know, I want to plan the night before. I want to feel comfortable. I want to get onto the, you know, I want to get onto the pitch and know what I'm doing and have everything in, you know, written down on a piece of paper. But what I didn't realize is what this produced in the long term was a crazy ability to improvise, adapt, and set something up and have the ability to see something and relate it directly to to a drill and having the ability to in 30 seconds one minute or i mean I, I remember doing it with james he would have a goalkeeping session and i would use what he has set up to create my own drill in, in literally under under a few minutes just as a progression to superhero ability that you've got harry of just seeing there's a there's three mannequins there's two poles there's some hurdles and then just thinking right this is how i can do it kind of thing and it's kind of good for me and Ryan, although some could take it as, oh, well, it's not good enough what I'm doing. But then your challenging of our ideas kind of pushes the next level kind of thing, if that makes sense. Well, I can kind of vouch for that massively, Harry, that, you know, what you said there, because, you know, there was days in the manga where I, I set myself kind of, I, I maybe came onto the pitch knowing that we were doing dribbling or, you know, we were doing a finishing day. But I hadn't thoroughly thought, you know, I'm going to do a shooting circuit or I'm going to do, you know, finishing inside the box. And I kind of just kind of went with my gut and then followed it with what flowed with the session and, and you know, what seemed to be working for the kids and what equipment they have. And my younger brother, who's, who's playing football quite frequently, um, to a good standard, he came out the other day when we were just we were just kind of chilling in our house and said, come on, we're training in 10 minutes to me. And, and it was like, great. So I got four cones I think I had in my room we've got loads of equipment in the garage but we I got my four cones in the in the in my room and, and a football and we went outside and I just thought let's see what I can do for an hour with four cones and a ball and the things I came up with were just like so relatable to him but so so beneficial as well like the intensity you know that a lot of it comes down to you as a coach you know remember last last what, week I think I, I think sorry it James what, what, uh, like sorry to put in there like one, oh, no. one famous kind of kind of phrase is that you know a builder doesn't blame his tools you know 
they're, they're they're at your expense you know if you didn't have any cones you'd find something else to do you know you don't blame oh i don't have cones it's right i have a ball instead you know you find a way around it yeah uh sorry right i thought you were done there when i was right, mate, just okay. linking it back quite nicely was a uh, i think it was kev who we had for the first question posted on his instagram last week i think about what what you've learned from lockdown and i think it was another one who would <laughs> we've managed oh no we haven't managed to answer but we've got a question stored of aaron who does lots of one-to-one work yeah. And he said about that, that's what he's learned, how much you can do with such minimal equipment. Yeah. You can have one cone, one ball, and there's so much you can do. Remember, in football, do. the only thing that you need for football, in theory, is a, is a, is a ball. Yeah. You, know, less, you can use less anything for a goal. You can use anything for a goal. Two bottles, you know, two jumpers. You know, look at, look at when you were younger, you used to play football, you know, with jumpers. You don't need that. You don't need anything apart from... A ball, it could be a tennis ball, could be a baseball, yeah. you know, something, you know, it might be a, a, a drinks bottle, for example, you know, something that you can kick. It's not hard. Yeah. But um, I think that rounds us off quite nicely there. I think we could, like I say this most weeks, we could go on for ages, couldn't we? I think we, we really enjoy this as a group. Um, any last Definitely. thoughts before we kind of run off? Yeah, I was, no, was going to finish my experience, which was... Um... Obviously, that one put me in that tough situation, difficult scenario where I had to come up with, you know, a one-to-one session with a three-year-old or four-year-old. And I had 30 minutes to, to come up with the ideas, you know, and then I would jump to the next session and have pretty much 15 minutes between one session and the other to come up with an hour and a half. And, and you know, they probably weren't great, the sessions at the beginning. But I, I had, a, going through that difficult experience, I realized I could just create a drill from nothing. And yeah. what's happened, I've, I've, I've realized now by doing um, sometimes where I take static images and animate them and whatnot, taking drills and, and animating them or, or, you know, just adapting a drill for somewhere else, I'm losing that capability or it takes me longer to come up with a new idea. So I'm like, scrap that. No, I need a, I need a you know, I need to push my brain. I mean, the yeah. brain doesn't want to work. And now we're so, we're so comfortable around our houses, it doesn't want to work at all. You know, it's always looking for an excuse. You sat down on a laptop. Oh, do you want a coffee? He sat down on a laptop. Oh, you're getting a bit hungry. You sat down on a laptop, you need a pee. You know, it's just anything to stop you from doing what, what, you, what you're supposed to be doing. So having the capability of saying, no, I'm going one hour flat out and I'm going to do this and it doesn't matter how much, how long it takes me, but this is what I'm going to focus on. You know, and having the capability of going for that hour, focusing on one thing, that concentration level that we talk about with kids that is very, very low. Think about what it is for an adult now. The capacity of listening to a human being that sat in front of you and is having a conversation with you is low. You know, people drift off. You're having a conversation with them and they're suddenly looking in a different direction. And we need to snap back and try and make our brains work a little bit harder because, you know, we have got a brain more than any other animal that's out there. And what we're doing is each time we're using it less. You know, all this information that's coming out, it's just kind of like everything's processed for us. You don't, you don't create your own notes, do you? You just copy the notes that are on the screen. This is the thing, you know, we're, we're, which, which is fine. It's making life easier. And that's why but our brains love it. That's why all these easy apps and everything that does everything for us, we just love because we don't have to do anything. But there's certain areas where... You need to make yourself differential to the guy that's next to you. We were talking about that before and the, and the questions. Yeah. And if you can only do what the person does next to you, 
you will not be already. able to get anything. You know, you won't be able to get anything more than him. You know, it's almost like I'm entitled to, to things coming to me, but I'm no different to the guy that's doing it next to me. You know, what makes me different? That's why I'm not too bothered about people when they copy what, what something that I do. It's not, it doesn't bother me because what makes me different is I'll create the next thing. Because I'm focused on creating and you're focusing on copying. And when you're bored of copying, which we do get bored, we just get bored with it. You know, because obviously you don't feel value. You don't even value yourself. You're copying someone else's work. If you adapt it, fine. You do a little bit of a remix. That's fine. But at the end of the day, if you're not creating something new, who are you? You know, who are you different to anybody else? And we go back to self-reflection as we always do. What a nice way to touch it off there. Love that. Boom. Guys, thank, thank you so much for, for your time again. Um, another great chat. Um, guys, thank you so much for listening as well. Uh, this has been The Coach's Room. Make sure to give it a like, share any feedback. Uh, you can find on our social media pages, at us, you know, tweet us, whatever you want. Um, thank you so much. Take care. Cheerio. Cheers, guys. See you, guys. Thanks for listening. We hope you enjoyed the experience. Feel free to leave any feedback on our social media platforms at Coach Cosson, at Training underscore RM, and at Pogue underscore Coaching. Once again, thanks for listening to The Coach's Room. See you next time.